This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, an unofficial podcast for Leader Games Root. Episode 157, Learning the Vagabond Base Game, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Music by Brian Capillis. Here's, here's the real story. Here's the story of today. Today, uh-huh. we were supposed to record a guide for the Embers of Muwat. Mm-hmm. And then Hunter has the decades-long history with Muwat that he has. And I haven't played a game as Muwat yet. So... So it didn't really at quite. All. It, at I all. I think, uh, well, I played the Ordinian scenario as Muat, but does that count? No. Uh, so we we are we're holding off, holding off on the Muat guide for a minute because <laughs> neither of us can do it yet. We could literally do any of the other uh, uh, four let's be, let's remaining. Let's be honest, though. I could do it, but I won't. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> I might force you to anyways. <laughs> Well, so, all right. So how about this? We'll just lay this out here. This is, the, the by the way, this is Space Cats Peace Turtles. We're, normal, we're a show about Twilight Imperium, but we're, we're going to be about Root this this week. But uh, real quick, TI Talk, uh, I think I will end up playing Muat again and doing the the guide again. So Get hype! Hunter's going to play the Muat. Yeah, the, that's nice. That's the Discord uh, so, freaking out. No, it isn't. Uh, They're gonna though. I don't really care if anyone freaks out or not, <laughs> because what I what I'm all the only reason I'm telling you this at this point is to just say that like I will do anything for this show. You know what I mean? <laughs> I am all in on this. I will literally do. This is the like moment of of no return for me. Fully committed to this show. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is like Blood That's Brothers. True. This is like I I'm getting this is my getting a tattoo of the uh-huh. show on my the fact you know, that you will do another Muat guide. Yeah. yeah. The fact that I'll play another game of Muat at all before the expansion comes out. Yeah. Cuz obviously the expansion might, you know, who knows, it might change the arithmetic a little bit. Probably sure. won't. Probably won't. Let's be real. <laughs> Not for Probably you won't. at least. <laughs> Not for me. No way. But the fact that I've been the fact that the, my boss, Matt, is looking at me, coming into my office and saying, sorry, hey, man, I know you said it was the only thing you would definitely would not do for the company. We got to have you do this. Got to have, you, gotta do have you do this. I got to, uh, you know, because I, I mean, look at me. I, I can't do it. I, yeah, reasons. well, he's too, he literally too busy. He <laughs> literally can't make, October is too slammed for this guy. So he can't. Do the Muat guide, so I have to do it. I mean, other, I, it's like either that or what? We skip it. We can't right. skip it. Yeah. That'd be ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. So what's, yeah, I have what's to funny do it. about That's it fine. too is uh, people may not have noticed it, but the arbitrary order of us doing these guides is that we're doing them in TI three like expansion order. And uh, when Muat is done, we can move on to the shards of the throne uh, factions. But that means we literally don't get to do any other guides until we do Muat. <laughs> 
So yeah, we, we have this hurdle we have to yeah. get over, and we have a time limit uh, of racing Prophecy of Kings. But that's enough TI talk. That's enough yeah, excuses. Yeah, yeah. Today, instead of the thing Hunter hates talking about, we're going to talk about the thing everybody hates talking about, <laughs> the Vagabond. <laughs> well, okay, except for people... Pl- okay, so everyone hates the Vagabond until you're playing the Vagabond. I think even... T- I, I've seen the argument even that people... Sometimes, when you yeah, play sure. the Vagabond, it's just not a fun experience maybe well, half the time. Yeah, when you're when you're not winning, it's not fun. Yeah. I will say, you know, the the thing about playing as a vagabond is it is the it is the faction and route that carries the most uh, heat with it yeah. from the jump. People are scared of you and will do things in order to try and sabotage your game. And when your game is being sabotaged, it is not very fun. Yeah. You do it. It does literally kind of cost you time. Yeah. Essentially, but overall. The Vagabond is one of the factions in Root that sells you on the idea yeah. from the onset. It's the most um, unique thing that exists in the game. The fact that, like, okay, cool, we're this, like, war game. Except for one of you is just, like, a person. It's just a thing. Just one. Just a You're guy. Just, just one a guy of playing them. a role-playing game, yeah. essentially. Like an <laughs> well, action even RPG. Then, even then, is it really or is it kind of a different... <laughs> thing sure i mean it's kind of morphed its own this is like a weird this could be a conversation of like is diablo an rpg or something like that you know what i mean what i'm saying right but yeah, yeah. you're you're playing an action rpg yeah. capital a action right okay right when you play the vagabond well let's get into our abilities here for uh for the vagabond and we're gonna kind of, we're using the term abilities a bit uh broadly uh but your your actual named abilities are nimble you can move regardless of who rules you're clearing this is kind yeah. of a requirement because you are only ever one unit so i mean you're almost never gonna rule all oh, right yeah we we have ne- neglected to say that <laughs> when you play as a vagabond you're playing as just one person yeah out in the forest right one single warrior, so you'll never rule anywhere. That's never that's that's just not your game. So right. you get so to move not no matter what. Yeah. Second is your a lone wanderer, your pawn is not a warrior and cannot be removed from the map. So yes. abilities that remove stuff don't do that to you, and your thing for just like technical reasons isn't a warrior. So effects that happen to warriors don't happen to you. Basically, it causes all this rules fluff of what happens to you instead. And, you know, this isn't necessarily a, um, like, let's learn every single discrete rule of the Vagabond today. I think there's going to be some stuff we're going to overlook. I'll already tell you, we're probably not going to touch on, uh, like, alliances a whole, whole lot. Like, fighting with a lot. There's so many technical rules with Vagabond that we just can't quite Mm -hmm. get into. And there's so many of them that you'll just never touch. Because, basically, there are a couple very much best ways to play Vagabond and they don't interact with a lot of the extraneous rules of the Vagabond. Sure. Uh, I I think also it's important to note uh, as we get into it that we are only covering the base game Vagabonds today. So if you're like, what, you're not going to talk about uh, coalitions? Uh, Well, we will, but there's going to be more episodes about the Vagabond. So we are leaving a little bit yeah, I think someone today I was just seeing for the pre-errata was saying like this is going to feel incomplete. Yeah, and I'm going to push back on that. Not incomplete. It will be complete in its part wayness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a complete part of the vagabond. Well, and and also keep in mind we're talking about 
learning, right? We're talking about just yes. getting, or this isn't an expert's guide to the Vagabond, but like, let's get your feet wet with the things you're going to need to know for your first game. And to be real with you, your first couple games of Vagabond, you're probably not going to want to dip your toes into coalitions and crazy alliances because those can be kind of tricky to to make happen and and make sense of. So for your first games, let's focus on like the most basic ways to win as the Vagabond, right? Right. right. So uh, let's finish up some abilities. Uh, this isn't technically an ability, but you do have a relationship tracker on your Vagabond board. And it is essentially that everyone in the game starts indifferent with you. This basically has no impact. But as you either aid... Uh, all of the different factions, which is when you give them cards, you get some points and they increase in your relationship tracker. And the higher they get up in that relationship tracker, the more points you get. Or if you start killing their stuff, you get points the more you kill their stuff. Uh, the other big note is once you kill stuff, there is almost no way to become non-hostile uh, except to enter into a coalition with or to be, yeah, to enter a coalition with a faction is the only way to remove that hostile. Which, if you enter in a coalition, you don't, you're not playing your own game anymore anyway, so that your points don't matter. Um, right. So all that is to say, relationships are a kind of the major way you score points as the vagabond, whether it be through improved relationships or through hostility. Those are two of the like four main ways you score points as the vagabond. Yeah. Well, let's talk about hostility. So how do you trigger hostility? Um, it is triggered anytime you remove one warrior from the board. Now, that could be uh, through battling a warrior mm -hmm. and killing it. Um, but also, you have an ability that we'll get to when we cover um, the abilities and the items uh, called Strike. Uh, which is that you have a little, you're a little guy and you got a little crossbow. If you flip Strike, you can remove uh, a, a enemy warrior. Yep without paying or with, without having to um, actually go into battle. Right. So that would count. And also, uh, I worded it as if Strike can't remove anything besides Warriors. It can, but it always has to remove Warriors first. Yeah. Uh, um, the so other those are your two ways to get into hostile. Right, and the other thing to note there, too, is other people can make you hostile. <laughs> if they attack you and you end up killing one of their units on their turn, yes. you're still hostile. So it's this kind of crazy thing where at the end of the day... It's pretty likely you're going to end up being hostile with maybe everybody at the table. Like that is the well, most one, likely one player. At least one for sure. Be, but but because the nature of the game and how powerful Vagabond is, a lot of people are going to be slapping you. And in general, you know, anybody with like a, a decent amount of units on the board at some point will probably hit you and make you go hostile. But something like yeah. maybe the Woodland Alliance. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe that's not as big of a threat. Um, sure. to you. So let's get what's, in. What's I, I want to say one more thing about yeah. hostile. So one of the best thing about it is that um, so once you're hostile, any any further pieces uh, that you remove from the board, you get a point for each piece. Yeah. However, if uh, if you think about it, you already get a point for tokens, the the roundy pieces, like for example, the cat's lumber. Yeah. Um, and also, you get a point for buildings. This now makes those pieces worth double, right? Every mm -hmm. time I remove a building, I'm getting one for the building and one because I'm hostile. Right. Um, so that's where essentially hostility can kind of get out of control and create situations where the vagabonds, the vagabond can score um, a ridiculous amount of points by just moving to a clearing and, and killing as many of the things as they can there. Right. Um, 
Uh, that's all I want to say about hostile. Yeah. Though let's let's talk about allied a yeah. little bit. Well, a little bit. We won't go crazy in depth on it. But the the idea, like we said earlier, is you are giving players cards, which is already something you kind of want to do throughout the game because when you give players cards, you can also take items from them. So as they craft items, you're even more incentivized to give cards and give aid, and that aid increases your allied status. The big thing with allies is once you get past a certain threshold. It takes a lot. You have to have given them six cards by the time they become a full ally with you. But then when that's the case, you can move their units and battle with them, which can help increase your ability to actually do these late game uh, point swings, right? We're going to talk a lot about the action economy of Vagabond and how your items limit that. Um, and when it comes to hostility, you are obviously limited to the amount of units you can kill via your swords, Unless you have an alliance, and then you suddenly have all these extra units that can help you score hits. Totally. Um, I feel like the thing about allied is that because it's so easy for um, you to fall into the hostility part of the tracker, a lot of the time, um, if you get uh, your relationship up to an allied uh, state, the person that you're allied with is not going to like that very much because you're going to be able to move their warriors and use them to do to accomplish uh points which is no good uh so they're not going to want to be at this status with you so i would say it is important to note that a lot of the time if you get to this point they're gonna want to uh to knock you down to hostility if they can so this the the idea of becoming allied with someone um we probably won't talk about too much in the rest of the guide like we've already said but um in those situations that you can do it uh i believe it's more uh, beneficial to think of it as a one-time use right. type thing. That's true. Most people are not going to let you just have this status and keep it yeah. uh, for a long period of time. And also, it's important to note that once you are at the allied status, uh, if you continue to um, aid right. the person, uh, it's only going to cost you, what, like one card yeah. now. One card and uh, one tapped item, and it's two points. So so it's it's one card to get one point, two cards to then get two points, three cards to get another two points, but then once you finally cross that threshold into a full alliance, you can actually start chunking out a lot of points through just, if, if you if you happen to be like a card draw centric Vagabond, if you get a lot of coins early, this could be a great way to pull things off. But like Hunter said, they're not gonna really like that. I think the most time you see alliances is when literally the Vagabond has given up and has formed a coalition. And now that alliance can actually be quite useful because you're not... You, you would only be moving their units in an effort to help win them the game because you need you're you're now tied to their points. So that's the most common way you actually see alliances because it's very rare for a vagabond to be in such dire straits that they have to coalesce with somebody. Let's right. talk about the satchel. Um, that's kind of the last big thing to uh, playing the vagabond. The satchel is where all of these items end up. Basically, Root has all these items in the game, and they only exist for the Vagabond, at least as of right now. Uh, So everyone else can craft items. You can craft items. When other people craft items, you can go aid them and get the items from them, and they all go into your satchel. You have a limit. You can have up to six plus two per bag that you get, but the whole point with the satchel is as you take actions in your daylight, you exhaust the items that are in your satchel. And if you exhaust items that are outside of, or if you damage items that are outside of your satchel, they go into your satchel and it becomes this little item economy thing that you have to keep up with. Um, 
I would say for me personally, it's like that always ends up being like a mid game issue for me is like, oh, shoot, I haven't gotten enough bags and I'm starting to like get too many items and I'm going to have an issue with like keeping that balance or else I'm going to have to start sacrificing some sort of items. Uh, basically, uh, y- your your goal is to not have to damage those non satchel items if you can help it. Uh, but because everything else is just continues to stay in your satchel. Yeah. So es- essentially the items are separated into two primary groups. There are the items that essentially form your action economy. Yeah. Um, your, your boots that you use to move your swords that you use to fight. Um, and then there are the passive items that simply help you, um, help, help your, uh, economy, uh, work better. So you have your T's that help you refresh items so right. that you can do more actions per turn. You have your coins that help you draw extra cards each um, each turn. And then you have your uh, your satchel, the item. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the bag. Uh, oh, it's a bag. It's called a bag. There we go. Um, so each bag increases how many items you can have in your satchel. Yeah. So is the, there's this very difficult um, rule to kind of parse. Um, but I think I... I hope we're making it sound as simple as possible. Essentially, your base satchel can have six items in it. Yeah. Every time you dam, every time you have to take damage as a vagabond, you have to put an item into the damaged slot. Yeah. You can damage the passive items, the T's, the coins, the bags. Right. However, when you damage them, they go into your satchel. Right. Which creates a weird situation where sometimes, let's say I have a bag and I want to damage my bag. Well, if I damage my bag, it, not only does it go into my satchel, <laughs> it lowers the uh, amount of items that I can carry at the end of my turn. You so put your bag in your bag, and it made it to where you now you have to throw your bag away. You your, bag your bag was too big your for your satchel, bag. And now, yeah, yeah, you da- you took a there's an arrow poking through your bag, so now you got to throw it in your satchel, and now it's taking up a bunch of room in there. This empty bag with the arrow through it. The other thing with the satchel economy is the idea that there is an upper limit to the items that you can possibly get within a game. Uh, you you have a starting set of items. Each Vagabond uh, comes with a different array of starting items between three and four items. And then there's all the stuff that is out on the map that you can get. Um, and then the four items in the ruins. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the ruins in a bit, but basically the ruins are a bag, a sword, a hammer and a boot uh so then the other items you can get are two more bags two more boots two more tees two more swords two more coins and then a crossbow and a hammer and and this to me is the where we unlock the most strategies as particular vagabonds our starting items has a huge amount of weight on what kind of strategies we are given access to because of the upper limit on what types of items we can end up with. This is why we're going to talk a lot about the tinker today because there's like different things that can happen. But just suffice it to say, different vagabonds have a different focus on some items based on what they start with and then what you end up getting in the ruins early and what you can craft. So that that satchel economy is a bit of a random it's a, it's a random number generator in your game of like what items you can actually end up with in this particular game and you have to bend to their will. You got to do mm-hmm. you you got to play the game that the satchel ends up being. It's you don't get to just do whatever you want as vagabond. You have to play to the satchel. Right. Um let's talk about quests. So and and we won't have a whole lot to say about it, so don't worry about it. So quests are um at the beginning of the game they're there are three cards that will be set aside. Um, each card will have a suit 
uh, like every other card in the game, right? Yep. Uh, so it'll be either bunny cards, mouse cards, or sorry, rabbit cards, mouse <laughs> cards, and fox cards. Um, each each quest, uh, the idea of a quest is it's like the vagabond is going somewhere and doing something. They all have cute little descriptions like, I don't know, like claim a reward yeah. or like help out the commons folk. Expel I just made that up, bandits. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and the idea is you're going to move to a clearing that corresponds with that quest card and then exhaust both of the, there's normally two required items in order to uh, complete the quest. When you complete a quest, you get... Uh, a reward of what is normally two cards. I don't know if it's always two cards. It is, yep. Okay. Always two. And then you get a variable amount of victory points. Now, this is the weird thing about the quest um, whole system. So the amount of victory points you score based on each quest is based on how many you've already completed in that particular suit. Yeah. So if I do my first fox uh, quest, I get one victory point. Second one, two third one, three, right. and so forth and so forth. So the thing is, what what's kind of a bummer about it is that uh, we get three random ones. Sometimes you'll get three fox suit quests right. available, and then it's like, okay, that right there represents one, six three, points. Yeah. six points right. on the board already. Um, so I would say overall, just as a rule of thumb, quests are generally not that interesting for the victory points. There's a lot of yep. faster tracks uh, ways in order to uh, score points. And also, um, especially in the early game, having to exhaust two of your items, that's two actions that you didn't get to use. Yeah, yeah. So in a lot of situations, you won't be able to afford that. Sometimes you will, in which case, why not? Go ahead. But what's more interesting to me, uh, especially in the early game, is the idea of these two uh, cards that you'll be drawing as a reward. Right. That's that is the the juicier of yeah. of the two. And what's the, yeah, you you have to make the choice. You pick either the points or the card draw. And if you if you compare it, like let's even just take this one. Expel bandits. You exhaust two of your swords. It's a mouse one. If I did this quest, if it was my first mouse quest, I exhaust two swords and I get one point. Or I could go somewhere where I'm hostile exhaust a sword have a fight get two hits exhaust the second sword get two hit i can score eight points off of those two swords instead of the one and that's sort of where the economy of the quests completely falls apart as points sometimes you can get them as like an extra point right there at the end of the game like oh hey i can also happen to do this and that's my 30th point but generally speaking it's pretty rare to see quests be like your main point accrual and like hunter said it's kind of not even that great for the card draw unless you like have a lucky decent turn where you can exhaust two items you weren't going to use anyways get two extra cards that can get you some extra aid maybe that's some extra points that way um and and just extra items um but that last point there is the biggest focus of our early game and why um a quest could come in handy or whatever is we really 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 want to start getting items uh as fast as possible so let's get into setup uh and how we how we set up the vagabond it's pretty simple uh, you are going to pick one of the three, in this case, or now nine, <laughs> Vagabonds. It's gotten pretty bloated. It's a big choice when you have all the expansions. But today we're only talking about the Thief, the Ranger, and the Tinker. Like we said earlier, each of them have a different array of starting items. And they also each have an ability uh, that your torch can be used as. So your torch is generally used for exploration in the ruins, but they also have an ability that if you exhaust your torch, you can do this special ability. So you pick one of those. 
Um, the ruins get placed on the map. And the last thing you do is you'll pick your starting forest. Um, and I think I suck at this. So um, I don't know, Hunter, if you have specific advice. In my head, I just pick like the most central forest. I, just, I mean, because for me, the starting forest doesn't matter because all I'm going to do is my first action is jump out to a route. Like I'm going to start exploring ruins. But is there any deeper reason to pick a particular forest over another as my as my game starts set up yeah um well so so each of the maps are a little uh they kind of vary i feel like in 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 like which ones have better starting uh-huh. forests than others like the mountain is kind of tough actually honestly the lake is kind of tough to pick <laughs> a good forest in because of just the general shape of them um but the winter and autumn maps are pretty simple i think the winter one actually has an objectively good best forest um because there's one that basically connects to half of the map yeah <laughs> and then the other is like maybe like three clearings or something like that yeah. um so i would say generally speaking though because of where the ruins are placed it's almost always about being centered yeah, yeah. you want to have more than one ruin uh that you could go to which it's like hard to mess this up so i would yeah. say like yeah the, there's not a whole lot to talk about with the starting forest but right. i would i would pay attention to suit um, if like there's a card, like if I'm playing the tinker and there's a card I want to craft on the first turn, well, I got to be able to get to, um, a, uh, matching clearing suit, that yeah. matches the suit, uh, right. to the, to the crafting requirements. Um, so yeah, so you, you can, I would say just start in the middle and yeah. make sure you can get to the ruins pretty easily. Right. So let's break down each of these different vagabonds. We will talk more strategically about them later on, but we just want to kind of preface you with like what kind of starts you can see in the game. So first off, you have uh, the thief. The thief starts with one boot, one torch, one T, and one sword. And they have the ability steal where you take a random card from a player in your clearing. Uh, the thief's notable thing is that T, you start already with like a really good action economy. So if you get a bunch of items really quickly, if you can get an early bag and a bunch of items, you can just like keep going and keep going and keep going because other right. factions usually get stalled out by how difficult it can be to get T. And that means you are limited to refreshing three items per turn. You can almost like halfway think of that as like you get three actions per turn. You get more than that, but your refresh rate really starts to impact you. And the thief just has this awesome um, jump start on that. Next yeah, up- honestly, I feel like if the thief didn't start with the T, the thief wouldn't be good. Yeah. Like the, that, that is the thing that makes the thief right. good to play is right. that T. Uh, the tinker, uh, we're going to talk a lot about today, but they start with a boot, a torch, a bag, and a hammer. The hammer is huge. We'll get to that in a second. They also have the ability day labor, where you take a card from the discard pile, matching your clearing. That hammer is gigantic. It's huge. Uh, that Basically, it turns... The, the limit everybody else has is there's a hammer in the ruins, and there's a hammer that people can craft. If you're playing with really good players that hate the vagabond they will do everything in their power not to craft the hammer and so for a lot of vagabonds that limits them to literally one hammer all game long the tinker at the very least can get two hammers and that third one can be more difficult but even the tinker has that advantage because they can search through the discards if other players use their hammers in non-crafted ways where they discard them the tinker still can sift through and get those hammers so tinker in some respects has a better chance of getting three hammers than most vagabonds ha- have of even getting two hammers. Right. Yeah, I, I 
definitely think far and away the Tinker is, if we're just talking about the base game, and honestly, if we're talking about the rest of them too, right. the Tinker is probably one of the best Vagabonds, if not the best Vagabond. Yeah, the overall. crafting is just such a big deal, um, and especially getting an early game start on that crafting. If we're talking about the Vagabond is all about your action economy, and the fact that if you got a decent hand of cards, the Tinker could immediately start crafting more boots, more bags, all that kind of stuff, you get off to just such a crazy start that it, it becomes very difficult to do anything about you yep. last up is the ranger the ranger starts with a boot a torch a crossbow and a sword and their ability is hide out you can spend your torch to repair three items then immediately end your daylight uh so the crossbow is kind of the the tricky thing here it's it's what makes the ranger the ranger but i also don't feel like that is really the character of the ranger the character of the ranger is that repair ability because what that means is the ranger very rarely has to go lick their wounds in the forest the only other way mm -hmm. to like reliably repair your items is well you can use a hammer to repair items but generally you're trying to save your hammer to craft items uh so instead you have to go into the forest and burn an entire turn not having a daylight action and then being in the forest and uh in your evening to repair items the yeah, ranger I, can just stay out on the board for like most of the game. Yeah, I mean it. It's you know, anytime you play as a vagabond, you have to uh, be prepared for the idea that the other factions are going to devote some of their action economy to literally just punching you. Yeah, um, in order to force you to. We haven't quite covered it yet, but um, you will when we get there eventually uh the idea is that you will take some hits and then have to run into the forest and basically waste a turn yep. in order to repair all of your items the thing about the ranger is he's kind of uh he's kind of tankier uh if they don't get enough hits on you they might not actually force you to go back into the forest um because of this hideout ability and i would say that the hideout uh, sort of like how i said the thief not so great except for that t the ranger not so great except for that, that ability yeah. a crossbow is not not necessarily an good. item that it's not going to make or, or break your game. Um, and there's not, there's not a lot of reasons to focus on the idea of like, we're going to come out uh, and go hostile with someone right away, right. which is what you would do with the crossbow. Yeah, it's there, kind of an easy way to become hostile. There are some ranger games where you don't use your crossbow for like three turns, that's, <laughs> like that's at very all. Possible. Now, there's other there's other possibilities too. If if I explore my first ruin and I find another sword, yeah, maybe I maybe I start looking at you know maybe I'm playing with the cats yep. and I'm like, well, they don't have a lot of things protecting their buildings right now. If I if I go to war early, yeah. who knows? Who knows how it's going to turn out? Right. So, I mean, I'm not saying... The Ranger is definitely not bad. I'm just saying a crossbow is nothing to get super excited about, but that ability is quite good. Yeah, yeah. So everything else we kind of covered, you do the forest. Uh, again, the ruins are all... On all the maps, the ruins are in like a spread of like, you can go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Oftentimes, by the time you get to that third or fourth, you might have reasons to like go off path. But plenty of games start with you just going through that path. So generally speaking, it's a it's a crapshoot on like what ruins you're going to start with first. But like we said, you're going to want to kind of make that part of your first actions. Uh, so let's get into the turn structure for the Vagabond. Uh, Birdsong is very simple. Again, you refresh three items plus two per T. So again, that T becomes very important. You'll see three logos there. Uh, but in base game, the thief is the only... Uh, Vagabond that can actually get three T's because there's only two available via crafting and none in the ruins. So um, most 
most factions you'll only ever get one t most most right. games um if even that sometimes a game where you get no t is a is a rough vagabond game but it, it definitely happens um and most players are incentivized to withhold t from you because that slows the vagabond down more than maybe anything else in the game is preventing them from getting t uh the second thing you do is your slip uh hunter the the slip is moving to a clearing or a forest at no cost Slip is weird to me because I feel like there's a portion of the game where I always maybe over uh, exert myself to like I, I tend to move at the end of a turn and I don't I forget to factor slip into my plan for my next turn. Like the yeah. idea that you get a free move, I think is something I forget about a lot and and I, I don't put enough weight on how kind of ridiculously good slip is, especially once you become hostile with at least one faction. Yeah, so uh, what I what I like to do with uh, when it comes to slip, um, it, it's funny because we're going to talk about the early game, and a lot of the early game is really just you moving around, going from ruin and ru- ruin to ruin, and exploring in order to get uh, the items that you need in order to get your action economy moving forward. Yeah. Um, the thing about slip is that's a free movement, and most of uh, all of our base game vagabonds start with a boot. I don't even know if any uh, I- at all. Do- the harrier and not in the base game but yeah the the your, your your flying squirrel in the last pack is the only one that doesn't start with a boot right so the whole thing is here we have an automatic move and then we get um a boot that will help us move but the ruins on almost every map except for the lake map which is kind of a special problem um the ruins are just one space away from each other so what do we need this boot for <laughs> um i would say the way i like to use the boot uh, is I like to use slip to get to the ruin in mm-hmm. the early game. Um, and then the boot is either to move us away from an aggressor that might come hit us early, uh-huh. uh, but yet still one away from the next ruin we're going to, or I'm simply going to save um, the boot in order to use it to either do something like aid or a quest. Yeah, that makes so sense. So never, I, I, I will say, well, I wouldn't say never, but... A lot of the time, it's not worth it to use slip to get to the ruin and then use boot to get to the next ruin because you're right. just going to have slip again. So you do, you do want to make sure to budget for slip right. every yeah. time. That's that's where I mess up all the time is I, I decide to use that last boot and then I don't have enough T, so I can't even unexhaust that boot next turn and I don't need to slip. So I've just wasted two whole move actions by going to the place I wanted to go to too soon. Um, yeah. So getting into the daylight, this is where everything... Well, hold up, hold oh, up. So sure. we, we need to note that... So there's two things to note about slip before we move on. Yeah. Um, so the slip is the only way that you can move into a forest. Right, yeah. Um, whenever you move into the forest, uh, you don't really get to do anything because the forest is not a clearing and everything... Everything like, needs all it. Of, everything <laughs> involves being in a clearing. Uh, it doesn't explicitly say... It's interesting that the... On the um, the faction sheet, it doesn't explicitly say skip to evening, yeah. but it might as well say that, right? Um, because there's nothing else you can do um, at all. But um, and the other thing that is important to know with slip is that uh, we were talking about relationships earlier. If you go hostile with another player, you have to exhaust an extra boot in order to enter a clearing right. with uh, that hostile player's uh, pieces. So the thing about slip is it ignores hostile. So you don't have to actually worry about the hostile rule. Um, so it, it, 
yeah, it's it's always important uh, to remember that slip is your best way of getting anywhere, and yeah. you uh, want to make sure to budget to use it. All yeah. right, now I'm ready. So so the the daylight is huge. It's where all of your actions are. So we're just gonna really now break down what each of these items are actually doing for you, and and why that's important. So your boots let you move. Uh, you exhaust one boot, you move to one adjacent clearing. Like Hunter said, if you are hostile with that person, you have to have two boots to move into it. That mm-hmm. can be a big inhibitor uh, in the early game. That's another, there's a lot of reasons for all the factions to start hitting you very, very early. And this is one of them. If they can make it to where it's very difficult for you to maneuver around the board because you haven't received your second boot yet, uh, it that can slow you down by quite a bit. If, if all of your ruins are inside of hostile territory and you haven't gotten that second boot yet, you're like locked out of the game essentially. So getting a second boot is pretty critical if you have any plans of uh, going hostile or if you can tell your opponents have plans of making you hostile. Mm -hmm. Next up is a sword. uh, And this is how you do battles. And uh, as opposed to other factions where your max hits are limited to the number of warriors in the clearing, your max hits are limited to your number of undamaged swords. So this is what makes anything that starts with a sword uh, significantly better for hostile. So our, our thief and our ranger both have an advantage of this because by the end of the game, you could have three swords and can deal up to three hits. But our tinker over here can only ever max out at two hits, save for alliance shenanigans. Uh, next action is explore. Um, this is, uh, we've been sort of talking about this thus far the whole time, but uh, essentially every uh, root character will start with a torch Um in order to explore, you have to be in the same clearing as a ruin. You exhaust the explorer token, and then you take the item from the ruin, and you also clear out that spot so that you know the cats can build something there mm-hmm. now. Uh, in in a way, it is helpful for the uh, the factions that are interested in that. But I would say mostly the cats, though. Yeah. Um, not really any other faction is super interested in right. in that that new real estate that you've created. And, uh, and also remember to always score a point. Yeah. You get a point every time you explore. I almost always forget the point. Ditto. But <laughs> d- don't forget the point. So there you go. <laughs> uh, next up, you can aid. Uh, your aid is when you give... We talked about this earlier, but it's when you give a card uh, and then you move yourself up in your alliance tracker if you have aided enough cards within that single turn. And that's how you get your items from your other players. Um, it's kind of interesting to me that aid is how you can get more items, but also exhaust an item in the process. But this is always a good use of, in some cases, the crossbow you weren't planning on using this round or... Uh, your your extra boots, which can sometimes happen in the early game. And especially mm-hmm. once you're done exploring, sometimes this becomes your use of your torch. If you're not using your faction or your vagabond ability anymore, sure. uh, yeah, yeah. This the, the torch often gets used for aid. Yeah. Uh, and l- the thing that people always forget about aid is that the card that you give to the player that you're aiding uh, has to be, has to match the clearing that you are in correctly. Right, right. So... Yeah, um, and, and and also the other player has to be in that clearing as well. So you have to, you know, if I have a mouse card I want to give to the cats, I have to go to a mouse clearing that has cat pieces, and then I can... And have them. my card, right. It's a lot. And have the right card. Uh, next up is, uh, we talked about the quests earlier. It's two full items. It's a pretty uh, inconvenient way to get anything done, but uh, we kind of already covered that. But you claim the quest, you get the card, and you either get the two cards or you get... Uh, the points that it would net you. Uh, after that is strike your crossbows. 
uh, like Hunter said, they do trigger hostile. Um, you are removing a warrior, but you are not engaging in a battle. So even though uh, there, they can be a tool to turn you hostile and then start battling for, for more points or whatever. Um, but generally speaking, once you are hostile with someone, uh, the crossbows are kind of actually a nuisance uh, because they they because they don't get you any of the points. Um, the only reason I would use it is if I want to get rid of the lone warrior protecting like two cats buildings and a wood. And I'm like, well, I could really stand to get the extra hits so I can clear out all of this stuff and get a lot more points mm-hmm. than just fighting through the warrior and also i don't want to take any damage right now i would rather just kill the warrior and get you know a clean sweep battle done yeah yeah just remember every time you use strike you're not getting a point if you're looking for for hostile points that's really just the number one thing yeah. to remember beyond that it's really just about finding i don't know opportunities that make sense to use it but yeah just remember there you're always losing out on a point yeah Last up is your hammers, and uh, we're we're getting closer to Crafty Corner. I feel like Crafty Corner is this looming presence <laughs> in this episode because sure, it kind yeah, of yeah. is the whole thing. So to to put it blunt, to, like succinctly here, uh, the hammer is a big, big, big deal. It's how you repair items very, very slowly if you're not the ranger, or it's how you craft items. Uh, and you have to be in the matching clearing, obviously, of the suit that the clearing is required. The big limit there is, of course, with a single hammer, we are limited to all of the crafting things that only require one clearing. If we can somehow get a second hammer, now we can start doing all the things that require two foxes or two rabbits. And if we're the tinker and we can somehow pull off getting three that's the only way we get to do the triple crafting things, and you basically should never assume that's going to happen. That is such a deep, deep part of your game. Maybe well, it happens Well, if that happens, once. then the other players have messed up, and yeah, you're probably right. going to win. Right. For other reasons, not even because you have the three hammers. <laughs> you're just having such a good game at right. that point. Right, right. So let's get into the evening. The evening's pretty simple. Uh, if we skipped the daylight, uh, we do an evening's rest, uh, which means we repair all of our items. Uh, worth noting, uh, in, in later printings, uh, than the very, very first initial root printing, your repairs, uh, and maybe this is just a hammer thing, but in general, your repairs don't necessarily unexhaust your items. When you, it used to be that when you repair an item, it also comes to you unexhausted, but that is no longer the case. So your forest brings your stuff back up into the undamaged part of your satchel, but it doesn't necessarily make your first next action that any better. If you still have a terrible tea economy, going into the forest doesn't save you there. Uh, Then you draw your card, one card, plus one per coin stack. Coin stacks are few and far between. They're very difficult for you to get because they require two clearings for you to craft. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're kind of waiting on other people to get them. So that's difficult. So your card draw is kind of generally not great. As the vagabond. I'll say what's what's good about the coin though is that it is the the craftable piece that is worth three. Yeah. So it's it's very likely that right. someone else will craft it. True. Uh, you just got to be on the lookout for when they do it because they're not going to not craft it just because yeah. you might get it. It's yeah. like they want those three points. So yeah, be on the lookout for that one. Right. Uh, and then you discard down to five cards, and then that's when you have to delete items if you went over your satchel limit. Uh, so that's that is all of our stuff of how we actually play the vagabond. Uh, it's time to get into uh, what we do with all of that information, which it was a lot. Uh, but let's get into some opening ideas. I think 
this is where we're going to try to break it down a little bit by <laughs> vagabond. Um, th- there's th- this is the most difficult guide to do, right? I mean, this yeah. this has been <laughs> there's so much information and there's a million different ways to do things. So let's at the very least, I, I do want to set up the categories of how you score and those can kind of inform the opening. This is some pre errata from um, BotBot, but there's basically it's important to note the four ways you score points as Vagabond. Quests, which we've already noted are pretty bad. Uh, hostility, which is part of our uh, relationship tracker we noted, and that's probably where the most, the biggest point swings come from. Uh, alliances, uh, aiding is is our third form, and that, that can have swings to it, but you need really good card draw economy, so a little bit more difficult. And fourth is our crafting, which is obviously something we're trying to focus on all game anyways, but we can have you know decent enough point swings from it. I, I, I think we, we like to get crafted points, but we generally are relying on the whole table doing crafting more so than ourselves getting a bunch of points through crafting, right? So hostility in most cases is like our main bet but what what we're trying to do in the early game is to get enough tools that we can do all four of those things right we need swords for hostility we need cards for aiding we need we need craftables we just need cards in general to craft the items that we need so our our early game is dependent on getting as much stuff as possible well and the way you're gonna win is is gonna be through a mix of all of those ways of getting points, and definitely not just taking one to an extreme um, yeah, it's you're, you're always going to have with really any vagabond you play, you're going to have a lot of options as far as those four tracks is concerned. And I think what makes a good or bad vagabond is how reliably do they have access to all four? Yeah, uh, which yeah. I think is why the Tinker is probably the best. Um, right. But overall, uh, the one commonality we can talk about as far as uh, opening ideas for all three of these vagabonds is the first thing that you want to do is head to the ruins and, yep. and and get those four items that are just sitting on the board. It's kind of it's kind of silly, but every vagabond game I feel like almost starts the exact same way with you needing to do that. Yeah. Um you don't get to get out of that because it's it's first off it's points that only you can get. You're the only one right. that can clear your ruins. Points. You might as well do it. So four points on the table for you. You need the items and this is the time of the game where most people can do the least amount to you. So people right. aren't lo- people are trying to get their own games started. So you can just walk through these clearings and and explore before people really start punching you. Now, if you're playing with right. pretty good players, they'll probably even start trying to punch you then. But they won't have very much muscle behind those punches yet. Right. So it's your best It'll opportunity. Also be easier to avoid them. Yeah. Uh, which is like what I was saying with like the maybe the early boot is not used to get you already in position to the next ruin. Maybe the early boot is in, is just a way for you to create a little bit of distance between yeah. yourself. I'm thinking specifically like the Eerie that yeah. has also a limited action economy at the beginning. If you're basically saying, hey, you can come here and battle me, but you're going to have to move to me in order to do it. That could be the thing that makes the Eerie decide like, well, I can't hit the Vagabond right. yet. Right. So yeah. the other big limit to our early game is the fact that we only have one torch. We can only ever get one torch. That's it. We are limited to that. And there's no way to refresh items during our turn, which means we are only exploring once per turn, which means right. those four ruins will take us four turns to explore. And so the big question mark becomes, 
Can we spend four turns doing that, or do we need to maybe abandon the ruins at a certain point? And what are what what is a good time to be okay with walking away from the ruins and maybe coming back to it later? And this is where it depends on which uh, vagabond you are playing as, because your starting items inform what other items you're trying to get so that your game so that you can open up all those paths hunter was talking about right so the Mm -hmm. the the easiest way to put it is let's start with the thief right the thief started with that sword and starts with the root t but that root t is only as good as us having many many items and so we need bags and we also don't have a hammer yet any vagabond that starts without a hammer wants to get a hammer as fast as possible so you can start relying on yourself to craft items so for me, the thief is you're trying to get the hammer and you're trying to get the bag. The second you get both of those two things, you don't have to do the other runes. You don't have to get that second sword and you don't have to get that second boot, right? You can find boots and swords through crafting and other ventures. And depending on how your game's going, it's just not a total requirement. But I really desperately want the hammer and the bag. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, the, the big factor to note here, though, that is kind of hard to account for in this guide is just watch the other players yeah. and what they are crafting. So, you know, if somebody crafts a sword, I would much rather move to a place where I can aid someone, take their sword and then use it against them immediately. That's fun. <laughs> That's a lot better than me having to go to the ruin where there might not be any especially good opportunities for me and excavate that sword. Now, of course, like if if they're not crafting anything, you're probably gonna have to explore all four ruins. Yeah. Like that's not that fun, but like that's basically the only choice you have. Another thing that will happen that's pretty much crummy is, and this happens to me all the time, by the way, is <laughs> first ruin, boot. Okay, that's like the worst one to get <laughs> first. I don't even need that right now. Uh, second one, uh, bag. Okay, I don't even have that many items yeah. yet, so I don't, and then third thing sword okay i want the hammer you want the hammer pretty much across the board we'd like it to be first and if it is first then that can kind of change how much you care about the ruins going forward yeah um the idea of like leaving the ruins until you might need to move to that place anyways and then excavating it is i think very efficient and very cool so basically the ruins are slow but sometimes they're your only option yeah um, yeah and and you pretty much always need to get that hammer there's no way yeah that you don't i, I would hammer. say the hammer is a major priority the bag is keep an eye on the table because other bags can pop up very easily people might craft early bags like they just don't care because i would say the other players at the table are worried about crafting a hammer and are worried about crafting root tea but you know what they'll craft a bag and you can come get it and that's not a big deal so it's pretty it can be pretty easy to find other bags i think all of this holds true for the ranger as well i think the hammer and the bag are the big deal um obviously getting the sword can be great if you decide to go heavy hostile like really fast um so that that can be nice but again it's totally not required so the the only big difference between all these vagabonds is the tinker the fact that we already start with the hammer means finding a hammer in the ruins is awesome would be great but it's not a thing we are desperate to get um if anything i would argue you want the sword Um, I think the bigger point, though, is you really just need to at least get a couple items because we need to just have an action economy, right? That's what we're doing. More than anything, we're just trying to get enough items to do all the stuff we need to do because any item can eventually be used for questing or aiding or whatever, and it's going to come useful. But I I think the Tinker generally would like to get a sword as fast as possible. Um, 
swords are difficult for other people to craft early because they require two fox clearings for them to to do. Now, they get them two points, so people generally don't hide swords from you. Uh, but for the Tinker specifically, the other downside to not starting with a sword means if you're playing with a very aggressive table, uh, you lacking a sword means that you are defenseless in game terms, which means people score additional hits against you. So the longer you go without that sword, the more likely it is that anytime someone hits you, you're going to lose a lot of stuff. Like you're not going to be able to do anything. You're going to go licking your wounds in the forest every other turn as the Right, tinker. and people hate the tinker. So yeah, you need to get that sword as soon as you can. I forgot about that defenseless point and that, that, really, does, uh, that really is crummy. I feel like I can sum up the opening ideas for any Vagabond, though, as just these two basic ideas. We're trying to procure items, number one, yeah, because they are everything. They're everything Matt just said, but also, even on top of what Matt just said, they're also the way you soak hits. Yep. Uh, earlier I said, oh, well, what do I need this extra bag for? At the very least, a bag is, an ex- is a hit yeah. that you can take. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the right. very least. And they're going to want to punch you. Yep. So even if you have an early bag that you don't need, well, at least that's another hit you can take and you're not actually losing any actions that you need. Right. So items, number one, big one. Number two, cards. Yep. Cards are essentially, well, cards are the way we get more items, the way we get more <laughs> points. And they're also the way that we go, uh, that, that we start working with the relationship uh, tracker. Right. So cards basically, for Vagabond, outside of their usefulness as maybe a card that you craft, which we'll get to in a minute when we get to Crafty Corner, uh, outside of it, cards just translate into points. Any yep. card translates into points if, it, if the Vagabond has it. So right. you want cards, and you want items. And, yeah. and and specifically, you want root tea and coins. And hammers. <laughs> and hammers. So the, here's the, th- the thing. <laughs> and swords, kind of. <laughs> if we could just start painting the picture, the thing about the Vagabond is that you're really good. It's a really good yeah. faction to play as. You're very, very good. Yeah. But you need everything. Right. Your whole economy, you need access to it all the time. And you're always going to be wanting for something. There's always going to be something that you right. did not get. Right. Okay. Come on down to Crafty Corner. We're going to have a good time. We're going to craft some items. going to have fun. And we're going to keep playing. We're going to be the vagabond. We're going to do the thing. And we're going to be playing Root. That was uh, the jingle for Crafty Corner. It's really by, long. Uh, that actually, you know what's funny? That I'm going to bring it all back right here. <laughs> to me, that sounded Steve Martin as heck, okay? <laughs> that was, you literally went into a Steve Martin voice and did a stupid little Steve. You know how Steve Martin, I don't know if you guys listen to a lot of Steve Martin stand-up, but he does these stupid little songs to himself all the time. He yeah. does stupid little, like almost like Vegasy sounding songs <laughs> all the time. That's like always his go-to bit. Um and you know it's not that funny, Steve. Oh, I now, say for, like now 50, we have a problem. Fifty okay, let's, years after the fact, let's get into the. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's get into it. I think today uh, in Crafty Corner we got to talk um, specifically to each of these uh, specific vagabonds instead of generally. Uh, that uh, there are general truths though, right? But it's all the stuff we've already said. The more items you can craft, the better. Um, yes. But we can break down the deck a little bit so that the vagabond, so that any vagabond you're playing, you have an understanding of what you can get quickly and what takes a bit more effort. So the big idea is we need to split the deck in our mind into things that craft with only a single hammer, 
and things that craft with two hammers. And then there's right. a whole other segment for, oh, if you're Tinker and if you get three. And we're basically not going to talk about that today because it's just right. such yeah, a thing. And, and honestly, those abilities aren't even that critical for you. Like in the base deck, the favors uh, or the, you know, the ones that nuke the clearings. Cool. That's great. But it, that's just such a thing that's out on the periphery. I can't get into it. But the, the one to two hammer distinction is critical. Um, yeah. So when, when we're talking about items in general, I want to point out that boots, crossbows, tea, bags, and the single hammer that's in the deck all require one clearing. So those are all things you can generally craft yourself. The hammer especially is tricky because it's only one hammer in the entire deck and the other players should know that and they're probably going to try to keep it away from you. And that is like the big linchpin of your whole rest of your game. Um, right. Only when you unlock two hammers somehow, if you're lucky, can you start crafting your own swords and your own coins. Um, generally speaking, you rely on other players to craft your swords and your coins for you, but you can get your own bags, you can get your own boots, and you can get your own T crossbows and maybe that anvil card if you if you Thank luck across God it. Thank God for the T too, because yeah. if it not for the T, you'd be in um, you'd be in dire straits. In, yeah, dire straits. Uh, so then the other thing is, what abilities are we ever going to craft? I'm not a big ability person with the vagabond in general, um, no. because if I have the open hammer. Um, and I don't have an item to craft that's going to get me points and open up my action economy more. For me personally, I probably have a damaged item. I'd rather use the hammer on that than to craft something like sappers, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I don't care about most abilities. But we will talk a little bit about uh, the, the other cards that are useful. Generally speaking, from the base deck, the only thing I care about is armorers. Because armorers in battle, I may discard this to ignore all uh, rolled hits taken. So I get to protect my items. Uh, my items totally. are everything. <laughs> They're my action economy, like we've said. So uh, if I'm going to craft any ability, that's the only one from the base deck I care about. Your other single ones are literally only sappers or code breakers, and both of those don't blow my mind. And uh, to get into two... Um, to clearing stuff they're all just so specific like they're all good yeah great if you could do it that would be nice but again i would rather use my hammers um if i have two hammers i'd rather repair a bunch of stuff and stay in the field than to craft cobbler totally yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh well, well let's talk about exiles and partisans yeah it's a little more interesting i feel yeah like. exiles and partisans opens up a whole bunch obviously the items are the exact same it's a direct mirror um so nothing changes there but your difference between single cards uh, increases a lot with Exile and Partisans. So there's tons more abilities that the Vagabond can craft. Um, I would say a bunch of them don't blow me away. Uh, a couple of them literally aren't usable by you, even if you could craft it. Something like Tunnels right. is useless. It doesn't matter to you. Um, there, there's, a, there's a handful of them that are, are not a big deal. Um, I would put saboteurs in the category that I always put saboteurs in my head is like, it's always good for anybody. There's nothing special about it with Vagabond, but it is always worth crafting because it's kind of just part of how the Exiles and Partisans deck works. But the two cards that make sense to actually craft as Vagabond with a single hammer are False Orders and Swap Meat. Uh, I'm going to talk about False Orders, but uh, Hunter's the one who sold me on Swap Meat, so I'm going to let him do that one, but here's False Orders. Uh, in Birdsong, you may discard this card to move half of an enemy's warriors round up from any clearing, treating yourself as that player and ignoring rule. 
obviously this is especially great for clearing a stack of warriors out so that you can go nuke all the buildings like crazy mm -hmm. um it has other some some other specialty uses but that is the main thing is this is like your big point gain especially if you're hostile with that person you move a stack of cats on top of the you know the keep or whatever you pull them away you jump in you kill a wood two buildings in the keep like you just netted so many points it's ridiculous totally, totally. false orders is very much clutch to some of your biggest late game like final round plays it can um, also be used defensively if you see the stack that's coming your way right. or maybe the stacks already arrived and you just can't afford for them to whack you again yeah uh false orders can be good for solving that problem as well right uh, Hunter, sell me on Swap Me. I will read it for you. Uh, it is, once in Birdsong, you may take a random card from another player and give them a card. Yeah, so this this isn't a mind-blowing ability. It's just, I think, I like it for um, Vagabond because you're always fishing for cards that people might be just keeping in their hands. Like, I'm thinking, like, the other hammer, for example. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a random, it's a shot in the dark. But it allows you to um, curate your hand a little bit just towards the best cards you could possibly have in your hand. Right. Because as you just kind of covered, there's a lot of junk in Exiles and Partisans as far as like this stuff that's just not useful to you yeah. as the Vagabond. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I'm, you know, if I've got tunnels and I've got Swap Meet, well, now I can get rid of Swap Meet and it's fine. As far as Partisans go, um, which you might be thinking are, obviously it's an extra hit, uh, defensively and offensively, which is cool. Yeah. Um, the fact that we are playing as a faction that needs the cards in their hand in order to spend them in order to get points, uh, I feel like most of the time, not going to be super helpful. You might find yourself in niche situations where it makes more sense just to be able to hit yeah. more and more. If I'm, if I'm Tinker and I'm locked at two swords... And I got them and I'm going for a hostile victory. And I'm just like, you know what? At this point, I just need that extra hit to get more points. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Burn uh, it. But it's, I, I would say crafting, crafting partisans early when I don't know exactly what the shape of my Vagabond game is going to look like. You may have just thrown a card away that could have just gotten yeah. you some points. You well, know what I mean? What's nice about the Vagabond is that your crafting happens inside of the rest of your action economy. Yes. There's plenty of other factions where your crafting is after the fact. So Partisan's cards, you have to craft ahead of time and then maybe use it. Vagabond has the added benefit of, well, I have the Partisan's card. I have the hammer. And I'm about to go do this battle. And my hand is such. So yeah, you can kind of circumstantially just use the partisans card the moment before you know build it the moment before you're going to actually use it let's get yeah, into that's those a, that's a very good point so what but i just want to piggyback off that and say so what you could do is just kind of leave partisans hanging out in your hand yeah, for yeah, a yeah. bit if you can't think of a use for it right and then whenever you're like you know what it's not gonna work out then you just ditch it use it for aid and get some right. points off of it or you're just like you know what this is it this is the moment where i go full hostile i'm crafting partisans and let's go for yeah. it that's a great point i didn't totally. really think about that uh so then in exiles and partisans we also have all of the we need two hammers cards um i think the big 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 one everything after this first one is like hey yeah sure it's as good as any card ever but hey coffin makers freaking rules huh <laughs> pretty crazy uh, i mean coffin makers pretty much rules for everybody yeah but the fact that you can go hostile with somebody as the Vagabond and kill their stuff, get points off their stuff, and then get <laughs> points again off, off their, their stuff, stuff that you killed. Like, yeah. that's a pretty fun dynamic. Yeah. Um, I will say, 
there's no way they don't sabotage that. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, the saboteur guess, is going to come out. A, sab- a saboteur is going right after that. Right. It's almost like automatic, I feel. Right. Um, uh, but it's cool. It is. It's very cool. Uh, it, it also is one of those things of it is purely dependent on if you're a swordy, battley vagabond, right? Totally. If your tinker game didn't go sword heavy, you're not going to be getting warrior hits. So don't burn, don't waste two hammers on coffin makers. Right. And, but, but also another element of coffin makers that's hard for us to talk about in the show is that it depends a lot on the other factions totally. at the table anyways. Yeah. So if, you know, if it's a pretty, you know, if it's the duchy the eerie, the cats, yeah. and there's just pieces <laughs> flying everywhere. <laughs> coffin makers is always going to be good. doesn't yeah. matter who you are. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't care who you are, man. That's <laughs> I don't funny. care who you are. Coffin maker is pretty good. Uh, we also had special mention. I just want to throw these cards out there. Uh, informants, in evening, you would draw. If if you would draw cards, you may instead take one ambush from the discard pile. We love ambushes as Vagabond. Uh, I, I think that ambushes are actually technically a little bit weaker because with other factions uh you know you're all over the map so a fox ambush could work on any of your fox clearings vagabond push back and say you are the hottest target on the table exactly yeah so having an ambush is never gonna be bad because there's always somebody that's gonna come attack the defensive ambush is much better for or 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 more importantly the the when you go to attack someone and they play an ambush the counter ambush is a huge deal for you so we we love them uh we also wanted to point out master engravers obviously when you craft an item score one point uh that's great we're doing that that's the thing we do is try to craft items so more power to you I, I think the factor with that one is where are you at in the game? Now, is this yeah. like the first thing we're crafting? Are there a bunch cool. of items left that we're going to get? Are we playing as a tinker? Yep. Do we do we get the hammer early? Those are all the important factors yeah. that comes to matter. This is the is perfect it? tinker card because it's very likely totally. that we will get two hammers pretty quickly, maybe even. And uh, then we start crafting like crazy. And, you know, Master Engravers just really boosts that. The last one we want to call out is Eerie Emigre, Eerie McGeary. Uh, at the end of Birdsong, so just before you start all of your other actions in Daylight, you take a move, then initiate a battle in the clearing you moved into. If you do not take both actions, discard this card. This is great. Even when you have to discard the card because you can't battle, this is great because it ignores your hostility. So this is your ranger. This is your mean, Mm -hmm. hostile uh, vagabond card because this rules. You move in. You do a battle. Let's say you have two or three swords. You just upped your amount of battles you can even take this round because you get to do a free move that doesn't do any hostile and do a battle and then flip a sword battle, flip a sword battle, flip a sword battle. Like You just go crazy uh, with Eerie Emigre. Also, also in in the other situation where you're playing as uh, Tinker, maybe you you only have one sword yeah and you're like god it's just killing me i can't get another sword this is your other sword right essentially. yeah totally yeah. and and you you keep this card as long as you keep doing the battles so uh it's it's very good every single round uh as long as you keep it so the only thing the only thing that's scary about it is the fact that the vagabond has like a weird uh turn rhythm yeah of like occasionally getting punched and having to go into the forest it you know there's just gonna be those times where it's like Sorry, Yuri McGeary has to go away. So this one, I think, is very like, you really need to know where you're at in your game yeah. and predict whether this is going to be useful for you. Because the thing you always have to remember about any of these cards is a Vagabond can s- pretty much throw away any cards for points. Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so we're good at everything. We, we rule. We rule school. We love crafting. We're super good. Is there anything, if you, if you go to the Discord and you ask this question, is there anything Vagabond is bad at, you're going to get 400 people telling you no, but that's not the right answer. Uh, Hunter, what are our pitfalls as Yonder Vagabond? Well, the pitfall is, the number one is heat, 
we're coming into this game with a lot of heat yeah. and uh, people are going to devote actions to punching you. I feel like I've said this maybe three times already in this episode. <laughs> we haven't gotten to this part. So this is going to happen. Yeah. They're going to come. They're just going to hit you. Um, the fact that the tinker is defenseless at the beginning, yeah. that's a major problem because there's a huge temptation to just hit you early yeah. So because they get that free extra punch. So we have to be ready to get punched. What that means is there's going to at least be one turn in this game where we are not going to get to do anything. We're just going to have to slip back into the forest, lick our wounds, and that's it. So, th- and that's fairly boring, uh, yeah. actually. To be honest, <laughs> uh, it's like it's like kind of a it's kind of a buzzkill. Yeah, but it's it's something that is likely to happen. So we have to plan for that. That's why we need to get as many items as we can. Um, and I I feel like, and maybe this is where I split hairs with the Discord. I feel like vagabond is generally always down one thing that they want. I either don't have a coin. Oh, I really need a coin or I don't have a T. Oh my God. I really need a T. I just can't get a T Uh, or, you know, Oh, that I, the, I, the first three ruins, none of them were hammer. And now I need that last hammer right right now. Um, The vagabond is the kind of faction where there's a lot you can do. It's crazy how much, how many options you have. It's insane. Probably the most options for any faction as far as like different ways they can yeah. score points. It's it's literally insane. But you're always wanting for something. Um right. and so you always have to adjust for the for the thing that you don't have. Yeah. Unless you did actually get everything, which does happen every <laughs> once in a while. And when that does happen, you're gonna win. You're gonna right. win and it's gonna be fast and they're gonna need to punch you right away. Right. right. So I would say the big problem is getting punched. The little problem is did you, I don't know. Do you have that one thing that you yeah. need right now? Another that, way to word that, I, I would say, is maybe maybe you don't even feel it as a like, oh, I really need this. But I think any vagabond, any good vagabond needs to recognize as early as they can what they don't have and mm-hmm. and cut that strategy away. Just be like, you know what? Okay, I'm not doing that one thing this time. That's fine. I don't have to be able to do every single thing. If I have four ways to score points, I can lose one and still have a really, really good game. And so just recognizing what isn't going to be your pathway for points this round or this game and re like double downing on the other three is is the key to like a good vagabond strategy it's just like well the t's not going to happen this game it seems like so i need to find a way to play this game where i'm not taking a million actions every turn because i can't refresh stuff fast enough so what is mm-hmm. the most efficient way for me to score my points what is the least amount of items i have to tap to score points well i would kind of argue that's maybe hostility depends on what you know if you slip battle battle each round then you can refresh those same three items next turn and still get lots of points through many many battles if that's the route that makes sense right so there's there is an answer to every lack um and you just have to solve that little puzzle totally um let's talk about finding our victory yeah what how does this and i feel like we were basically there yeah so i mean it really just comes down to these four paths yes um relationships crafting hostility and quests those are those are all the ways uh that we do it yeah and i feel like every every vagabond sort of has their own kind of obvious hierarchy as far as like you know which ones make the most sense with i would say questing always at the bottom yeah um so the three main ones are relationships hostility and crafting um 
However, that being said, regardless of what, what whatever we might say right now, as far as like the hierarchy of that, yeah, um, they're all always on the table. So I mean, if you're having a if you're having a thief game where it ends up that you've got two hammers and now it's time to craft like crazy, well, don't <laughs> don't avoid crafting just because we said relationships might be your best yeah. route. <laughs> like it's it's pretty much all on the table for most vagabonds, especially the Tinker. In fact, I don't even want to talk about it with the Tinker because the Tinker is the most versatile yep. vagabond in the base game, possibly, period, right. end of story. Right. Maybe the most versatile thing in the board game, not just sure. in the vagabond's arsenal, totally. but like totally. in the game, the, vag- the the Tinker can just literally do everything. Uh, the Thief, our hierarchy is, and this is probably somewhat soft, again, it, it's the conditions of your game, but Thief is probably best for establishing relationships. And then doing crafting. Hostility is just a little bit lower. Yes, you start with a sword, but having the ability to tap for quests and stuff too. I mean, quest is on the bottom, but you know, you 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 have the biggest thing here is that steal ability, where you take a random card from a player in your clearing. This mm-hmm. gives you the best opportunity to do aiding. You can take a card from a player and then immediately give it back to them for a point and to increase your alliance. So relationships can be such a big, easy deal with the thief. And you can do that multiple times. You can do lots of aiding because your T allows you to refresh many of your actions each turn. So it's kind of your, your safest bet. And the thing you can sell your opponents on is like, Hey, listen, I'm not going a heavy hostile game. I'm playing as the thief, man. I want to be your friend. And maybe you get punched less because of this, at least early. (laughs) Right. The other thing is that I feel like the thief, you know, you start with a with a torch, a tee, a sword, and a boot. Well, to be honest, you don't even really need that tee at first, obviously. No. Yeah. You only got you only got four items and you're probably not gonna spend all of them anyways. So I feel like the idea of spending one of those items on on an early aid makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's I feel like that just kind of explains the hierarchy there. Right. And it's really just that. That's not you know, that's not a whole lot to go on and your game could easily switch totally. into hostility being the best. Like, let's say you pick up the sword first. Now you've got two swords. Let's just go hostile. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, the flip side of that is the ranger. Obviously, the ranger is just crazy good at hostility, not just because you start with the sword and the crossbow. Like we said, the crossbow doesn't specifically help our point accrual in battling, but the hideout ability, the fact that we basically never have to go into the forest if we play it right and we can just keep fighting and keep fighting every single turn makes hostility a really, really viable path for us. And it's it's very likely where you're going to find your victory is pretty quickly becoming hostile with like at least two of the other factions at the table. And just like anywhere you go, there's a fight you can take and you can probably withstand it because you're repairing items like mad. Yeah. Um, and and then obviously I feel like relationships and crafting are kind of, I don't know, could go After either way. That. Yeah, on, totally. Um, on how it goes. The, the relationships is the interesting one of you might that crossbow you might not need early. Um, I think it's really common for the ranger to get as much aid as you can do before you know you're going to turn hostile. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like do a single aid, get the single point and then go hostile on your next turn with that same right. and do that with all three factions. You know, that's OK. That's three points and three items that I got from everybody before I just turn the tables on everyone. So yeah. there's a little bit of an early focus on relationships and then just abandoning it entirely in the late game. You do have to be careful, though, with the, with the hideout ability, because 
the I feel like the problem you could run into if if you go too hostile too early uh-huh. is the fact that we we do need that torch to in order to explore ruins. Yes, right. So if we're having to spend that every turn because we're getting uh, everyone is beating up on us because we've we've gone hostile everywhere and everyone's like no they're he's trying to burn my stuff down. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to work, you know? So just remember, like, it's... I think hideout is a pretty good ability, but even still, early game, it's it, there is a cost there. Yes, and definitely. it's an exponential cost if you're not getting items that you could have Totally, gotten. totally. Okay, that is our that is as best we could do today <laughs> on the basics of a Vagabond game. Obviously, there's all kinds of stuff we didn't touch on. Uh, I think our plan is down the road, we might... Uh, revisit the other six Vagabonds and get a little bit more specific because especially the expansion Vagabonds get way more specific in the things they can do. These three Vagabonds are all pretty generalistic, right? They they can kind of do anything, but I mean, you got stuff in later editions where they don't even start with a boot or they are designed to be better at questing and things like that. So there's a lot of other things to talk about with Vagabond and and things like coalition, stuff like that. We will, we will, get into in a later vagabond part two episode yeah there will be a sequel episode just that that's that's how it had to go sorry we we, there was no way we could fit in all of them and talk about all of the crazy it's been over an hour and we did not cover everything so (laughs) that's that's the way it goes but now it is time for us to jump over to errata and talk about some twilight imperium so here we go Right, welcome to Arata. This is some Yin Arata. Um, this is from uh, Jasper and uh, Jahan. Jahan kind of called out, saying, "Hey, like I think the Destroyer Rush that we kind of smack talked yeah. uh, is actually good." Um, which is so Jahan. Well, you, well, you... I want to. I do want to clarify Jahan's point. We're going to really talk about Jasper's thing here, but I do want to make sure Jahan's point is at least slightly known, which is. I was very much like, never do it. It's bad. You you should hate it. And Jahan was like, hey, there's a little room for flexibility in there. Right, there are right. occasions with the right neighbors and the right tile setup where this scary thing can actually have a big impact and not cost you a lot. And I think that's a fair argument. It's still few and far between. And also, I'm just not the type of player that looks out for that sort of opportunity. But Jahan 100% is. So I get it. If you're in if you're in that world of looking for the early elimination, uh, I think that's fine. But what I actually like is Jasper's sort of middle ground approach and just not dumping command counters into fleet supply to build a bajillion destroyers, but instead the idea of building up to your three fleet supply, like building two or three destroyers on your um, either warfare or building just directly at home in round one isn't too bad because uh, Jasper had a game where they, where they built up some destroyers and they didn't have the best. It wasn't against the best opposition. Muat and Sardak neighbors played by smart players, uh, but not veterans. But the one game I built big destroyer fleets with Yin, I was able to win the game while holding both equidistance the entire game. I didn't blow up any carriers or war sons, I think, but the threat was enough. The point here is, uh, you know, you send your two carriers out onto the map and then you build a bunch of destroyers at home round two. Each of those carriers can go to both equidistance and bring two destroyers each. If you build yeah, three destroyers around one, you have four total destroyers, two destroyers parked above each carrier. 
with a couple fighters, that fleet doesn't get touched. Nobody can put up with that early game. Um, so you you can hold your ground on any of those territories. So it's definitely good if you're not like rushing for Mechatol. You can instead just like, you know what? Let's take both Equidistance uh, and, and just have a really, really fat slice. Yeah, I, I love that. The idea of using um, devotion as a deterrent and less as, a, as an aggressive. It's like an insurance policy that uh, you're not going to be able to take these planets yeah. with your early game fleet, uh, with your starting fleet, that is. Totally. Um, all right, and that's, that's, that's all we had for Yin. That's all, that's all. Um, we, yeah. You know what? By this point, we've got a long history with Yin. We've pretty much mastered them to completion, right. so... Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> we, we have seen the Yin light. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to thank our weird bears, Farganess, T.G. Welch, Brian, and BotBot. What's up? Welcome to the team. And I want to thank our Space Kitties, Naderade, Patience is a Virtue, Polyphony, Requiem, RYs, Hippie Peace Turtles, Gaskio, Dark Jutsu, Absol, Istoria, Ready Action, and Visioness. All right. Um, right now, all of the polls for the Galactic Council and for the Hunter Donaldson fan club are closed. Um, we're, th- this is our gap week here at yeah. the end. There will be new polls next week. Um, I also want to say this is kind of a... This, I've been working on this for a while, um, <laughs> talking to a lot of different people. Uh, uh, enamel pin manufacturers, uh, which got kind of weird uh, early, earlier in the year due to um, uh, the thing that's going on. I have heard about it. Um, but uh, the Space Kitty pin is happening right now. Um, they are making the uh, the kind of prototype. I guess I would call it a prototype. But yeah. They're just going to make one, show it to me, and then they're going to build. They're they're going to make all of them. Um, so if you want to check out the design for the special, you might not even know what I'm talking about. So if you're a space <laughs> kitty or above a space kitty or a weird bear, uh, this year, you get a special edition 2020, uh, enamel pin, uh, signifying that you were a space kitty and that it was 2020 when you did that. <laughs> um, there will be another pin next year with a different design and a different name, by the yep. way. Um, but, uh, the one for this year is uh, coming soon. I'll probably have it in a month, and then I will start sending them out, and I'm excited to get these in people's hands. So if you want one of these, uh, you should go ahead and sign up uh, to be a Space Kitty. Um, and an image of the pin design is up in our Discord in the announcements channel. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I will go ahead and pin it now. I realize I forgot to pin it. Um, also, here is my Twitch schedule for this week. Um we uh, finally scheduled that Letters from Whitechapel game. That's going to happen on October 10th Yay. at 10 a.m. Central, or it should. It's probably things, happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seems like it will. Um, and then I'm going to be doing a new, another Root Tournament hype game on October 2nd at 8 with a special guest. I don't even know who it is yet. We will figure it out. Sure. Um, YouTube this week is a game uh, that I played very recently on Twitch of me playing as the Tinker. Um, with special guest Quackalope, who does a lot of really good content and has has done a lot of good leader game stuff. Um, It's a very good YouTube channel, and you should check it out, and we had a lot of fun playing together. Totally. You should uh, like our podcast and uh <laughs> just you know be a big fan Good of it job and Great if you're job. If, if if you should like our podcast you should like our thing that you're listening to right now and if you do like it maybe you'll give it a five star rating hunter do you know we got our first uh four star 
uh, rating with a comment on it. Not to not to say it's our first four star rating. We've gotten four star ratings before, but nobody like it's a funny thing that Nobody's nobody ever, ever comments it. when they do it. But we got our first four star. If uh, if you want to do that, that's fine. But you know what's better than four stars? Five stars. You should give us a five star rating. I always like <laughs> to say if you dislike the show, you should like and subscribe. Yeah. I think like <laughs> if you don't like this show, why not? kind of have a have a toxic relationship with it why not just go ahead hate listen to the show every week and that's 15 percent of our discord is that way representing how much you hate the show you know what i mean like right. if you want to show us how much you hate it give us five stars of hate my man right. come on you know it. what for this for this week's five star rating if you're going to give us a rating on on itunes give us a five star rating and talk about something else that you do hate <laughs> yeah five stars i really hate pf chang's general sow's chicken it's just not flavorful enough for what i showed up for weird let me know (laughs) uh i want to do the thing that we do at the end of episodes are you ready to do the thing that we do at the end of episodes you got through it you got through all of that chat you skipped ahead it's now the time code that i listed in the thing and you're now listening to the part of the episode you showed up specifically for we're going to reveal hey, some Prophecy hey, of Kings I just, stuff. No, I, I want to let you know if you do that, if you didn't hear any of this episode and you just showed up right now, a download still a download. Yeah, we got you, bud. <laughs> we already got it. <laughs> we already took your download to the bank and we cashed it. All right, we got an action card for you today. Uh, it is called Deadly Plot. During the agenda phase, when an outcome would be resolved... If you voted for or predicted another outcome, discard the agenda instead. The agenda is resolved with no effect, and it is not replaced. Then exhaust all of your planets. I'm taking my ball, and I'm going home. I That's don't, really great. I didn't get the thing I wanted, and so nobody gets the thing they wanted. That's really funny and, and a good flavor there. Uh, one thing I want to say that's funny is that we didn't actually w- introduce what this segment was at all. Oh, so if, well. you di- if you don't listen to the show, on a re- this is your first episode, you just heard Matt read... <laughs> Just say random things without any context. You just jumped into that action card, deadly plot. Yeah, these are spoilers. they know why they're here. These are spoilers for the upcoming Twilight Imperium Fourth yeah, Edition expansion yeah, called Prophecy yeah. of Kings, and that was an action card uh, that we just spoiled. And uh, we have one more spoiler. What is we our do? Next well, well, I I want to real quick on deadly plot also point out it did say prediction. So Necro gets to use this thing. Anybody that played a writer gets to use this thing. This can be a great way to play an Imperial writer. And if it doesn't get canceled, but they vote against your thing, you can just guarantee that nobody gets the thing anyways. So that's fun. Yeah, uh, big that. big big fan of this card existing. To be to be honest with you. Um, however, the more important thing we have today is. A commander for the Excha Kingdom. Now we've kind of we we've seen teaser images that revealed that the unlock for Elder Kanaj, Q A N O J. The I freaking hate the Excha. That literally <laughs> the the theme to Excha is we put extra letters in there so that you don't get to know how to pronounce it. It's impossible. That's it, <laughs> this yeah. this guy's flavor text name is the Doom from K K L A J. Clash. Which is just so apt. Uh, But their unlock is to control planets that have a combined total of at least 12 influence. That is a lot. That's a very difficult... That's a uh, tough unlock. That's a tough unlock. You start with like five at home as X-Child, but it's still like that. That is a tall order. If you have a bad influence slice, like you could have 
a, a huge amount of difficulty pulling this off. But what do you get rewarded with? Elder Kanaj says, each planet that you exhaust to cast votes provides one additional vote. Game effects cannot prevent you from voting on an agenda. Whoa. So the first part is kind of cool. Just like, oh, cool, extra votes. The second part is ridiculous. Uh, game effects can't prevent you from voting. This means writers cannot prevent you from... You can play a writer and then and still, still vote. vote for your outcome. More importantly, this is a commander, which means you can give out your alliance uh, promissory note to somebody, and they also get this ability. And guess who gets really interesting stuff from the ability to vote no matter what game effects take place? The necrovirus can just be a part of agendas now if the if the extra gives them their alliance promissory note that is so weird and so stupid and i don't even know what to do with it let's I, break the game y'all yeah, let's break it now luckily I, I i actually think that like you will not see this commander in like 25 percent of games because of how difficult the influence thing is but i don't know maybe i'm wrong who knows but it's literally planets with 12 influence super stoked for this i'm stoked for extra in general all the stuff that we do know about extra is goofy um and i think just makes for more interesting games in general just the extra get to play fun games mm -hmm. i love the yeah the the flavor of all of their new stuff thus far uh, is very fun. I don't even know how much of it is revealed, so I don't. Even we're know not going to talk. Yeah, we're not. We're not going to do that. I want to point out that while I was reading that and and trying to build up the hype, Hunter just has his cat in his lap and is just like throwing it around and playing. Uh, am, and I mean, he's what in am his I own. To do the cat wants in my lap. Like, what do you want me to do? This is real life. Okay. I put Molly in another room so that we can do this. The least you can do. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, all right. Whoa, wait. Let's unpack this. So, Molly crawls into your room and jumps into your lap. Hey. What, you just going to push her onto the floor? <laughs> is that what you're going to do? This podcast no, is going to be so hard to do in like a year and a half. I can't mm -hmm. even begin to fathom how difficult this is going to... Okay. New goal for the podcast is I 100% have to have this be my full-time job by this time next year or else like we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Or else oh. we quit. Okay. A baby walking around and me trying to squeeze recordings in on a Saturday is going to be mighty difficult. Yeah. Well, that's the, we're going to have to have, we need an office. So someone get, sign up for the Patreon instead of sending <laughs> us money, buy us a office. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. Thank you to all our patrons, and thank you to Brian Capillus for the use of his music. You can find more at wanderinglake.bandcamp.com. Mm -hmm.